Who first designed the role-playing game? You'd think that would be an easy question to answer, wouldn't you? You'd be wrong. Hello, rescuers. Welcome to Roleplay Rescue, the podcast about rediscovering your lost role-playing hobby. I'm your host, Che Webster. While Gygax and Arneson have their names on the cover of the original Dungeons & Dragons role-playing game, it remains controversial to discuss the degree to which each of these two men contributed to the birth of our hobby. As the recent documentary, The Secrets of Blackmore, reveals, there were many people and several factors which contributed to the birth of the role-playing game. But if there's one thing we can all agree on, it's probably that Dave Arneson is the linchpin in bringing a new style of wargaming to the attention of Gary Gygax, who, in turn, decided to release it into the wild. October is the Anchorite Arneson Appreciation Month, and this is my contribution. This is Season 4, Episode 20, The Spirit of Arneson. Hi Shay, it's Edwin. Um... I've just listened to Simple Dungeoneering 2. Uh, I'm glad you managed to, to get a programme together, despite the problems you've had. Um, and it sounds like you've got over your cold a bit. Um, I just wanted to uh, second the comments about OSE as a um, mechanism for dungeon crawling. Uh, I've just, in the last week, started using it for a solo dungeon crawl that I've uh, been having a go at, and it's working well, uh, and I'm having a lot of fun. So, thanks again. Bye now. Hey there, Edwin. Thanks for calling in. It's great to hear from you again. And yep, I am feeling somewhat better on the mend, although I have to say that the episode that you were listening to, I recorded before I went down with the illness. But hey-ho, who's quibbling, hey? Yeah, OSE, what a fantastic tool. What a fantastic kind of set of rules that is. And, I mean, so applicable, even if you're not going to use the core Dungeons & Dragons OSE kind of thing um, from the word go, it's still got great game structure material in there, which sadly is so missing from modern games. I'm also glad to hear that you're kind of soloing. Um, I kind of wonder what you're using. Is it Mythic by any chance? Because you've talked about that, I think, in the past. You'll have to let us know how your games are going. It's... um, I don't know, it feels a bit one way for me. I'm talking a lot about my solo gaming, but it'd be great to hear from other listeners who are soloing and how they're getting on with it, really. The only one I've really heard from recently has been Ray Otis, who, dissatisfied with kind of the way Mythic is, has retread the whole thing to use 3D6. And if you want to check that out, you should hop on the Audio Dungeon Discord where he's freely put it up there for people to look at. Anyway, I think I'm digressing, and there is another call in, so... Uh, Let's hear that one. Hey, Che. Great show. This is Jason. I really like the plan you have set forth. Great, you know, great effort on your part. Nice, simple plan. Makes sense. Laid out easily. Ready to go. We'll see how it survives first contact with your players. But I think you'll be okay because you didn't get too complicated or too in-depth or convoluted. You kind of left it open. It's a way to do it. So I enjoy hearing your play reports down the road. Keep up the good work and talk to you soon. The irrepressible Jason Connolly there calling in. 
again uh jason i love it that you call in pretty much every episode and sometimes multiple times it's fantastic please don't stop um, i know you get self-conscious about it that's not a thing to think uh, feel self-conscious about really all right yes thank you um yeah i guess listening to episode 418 you've sort of enjoyed the plan i have uh, which is about running a campaign with the kids at school i did have my first session last week just before kind of coming down ill so you can hear about that on episode 419 i think there's a section on there in the gm's journal but yeah i can tend to keep kind of you in the loop as i go forward obviously patrons I'm going to try and keep the GM's Journal running for you through my fallow period after season four ends. Kind of, you know, it might be short and sweet, but it'll be there. So, Jason, I know being one of those patrons, you'll be keen to pick those episodes up and listen to them. Um, But, you know, everybody, it's just if you're a patron, even at $1, you're going to get access to that exclusive material between now and season five. Anyway, I guess that's enough of an advert for, for one day. Uh, let's get into the meat and potatoes of this episode. Can it's spirit with Arneson time? First of all, it would be remiss of me not to mention that the idea of an Arneson Appreciation Month came to my attention through my very light interaction on the Audio Dungeon Discord. Deep within the halls of that hallowed repository, wherein lurk all manner of podcasters drawn from across the gaming spectrum, there was offered a running order for a suggested sequence of episodes in October. The list came from the wise pen of Ray Otis, of Plunderground's fame, and I was initially very taken with the idea. I faithfully copied the list over to my podcast plan, and I let it lie for a month or so. Looking at it again, I have to admit that I'm not going to follow that list throughout October. I'm sure Ray won't mind, and I'm pretty confident the anchorites will forgive me, but there are two reasons for making this decision. Firstly, this is the final episode of Season 4, and I aim to take a break for at least two weeks. The pressures of my day job have become greater than in any previous year I can remember, and trying to maintain the current two-episode weekly schedule isn't sustainable. I need time to regroup, rethink, and build up some episode plans. The earliest I will sit down to podcast will be once I hit the October half-term, sometime during the penultimate week of the month. So that means, really, I can't kind of stick to the schedule. But secondly, I simply couldn't find enough of value to talk about for a full episode under those episode headings individually. In other words, I kind of feel like I could cover all that in one. When I think about each topic, I end up at the realisation that I actually disagree with some of the assumptions that lie underneath them. Not in a kind of, you know, big argumentative way, but I just don't quite buy into those ways of thinking. But what I can do first of all, is give you a quick rundown of what those topics are, and each time also add my short responses to them. After that, I want to get to the real reason I'm still recording one episode for Arneson Appreciation Month, because I want to talk about the spirit of Arneson. Gary and Dave shared credit on the white bus. Things advanced, their relationship was on the rocks. Maybe less people know his name, but he revolutionized war games. 
Let's begin. 1. In honour of how Arneson screwed Wesley in the Braunstein game and got everything off track in an on-track kind of way for role-playing, talk about a player who was fun and or destructive in a funny way in one of your games. In short, the number of times that I could think of when I have had or seen a player get everything off track in an on-track kind of way for role-playing is countable on a rat's paw. I can list a host of dick players who ruin sessions through their stubborn desire to dominate the narrative, but I can't honestly think of any times in which players got off track in a positive way. Perhaps that's because I don't run games on a track. These days, I don't usually come with a pre-planned sequence of playable scenes. The nearest I've come to this is when running a published scenario. And I find published scenarios increasingly frustrating simply because they rarely cover the things my players want to do. Since my return to active GMing in the late 1990s, my experience has been that each time I've run a track in a scenario, the players derailed it for sure. But then, you see, I'm not sure that Wesley had a track in his Braunstein game. He certainly had a plan and a thought about the kinds of things he expected his players to do. What surprised him, from what I can tell, is how, first of all, the most fun was being had away from his refereeing in the room with the players role-playing. And secondly, Wesley was totally gobsmacked by the sheer inventiveness of Dave Arneson. Thus, if we are really talking about the inventiveness of players, well, now we are really talking. Because I am always surprised by the clever and inventive nature of my players. That's what makes the game so compelling. So, for this, I'm going to relate an anecdote from the last game my wife, Deborah, ran for us back in the early 2000s. It really has been that long. We were playing Alternity, and she was running a from-the-hip improvised game set in the modern day and focused on aliens, weirdness and conspiracy. (laughs) Three of my favourite topics. At the end of a stretch of play, we had had a long break-in play, several weeks off, possibly over a summer or winter... Deb told all the players that during the break they could invent any story of how they used that downtime as long as they shared it via email with her. On the return to the table, we discovered that our journalist, played by the immensely talented Chris Tregenza, inventor of the 66 RPG, for those of you who don't know him, Chris had by all accounts decided on an inventive sequence of events. Of course, for many sessions we didn't know anything about it, But in short, he told Deb that his character had been abducted and surgically altered to have a built-in bionic camera eye thing that was transmitting to his abductors without the character being aware. Apparently, he told the GM that the who and the why of that abduction, they were all up to her, as long as he could have the cybernetic implant. Deb agreed. It all led to a satisfying conclusion to the campaign. For me... That's player inventiveness, and it's also the spirit of Arneson, doing whatever is needed to ensure that everyone's game is all the richer. 2. Rules. We don't need no stinking rules. 
in honour of Arneson throwing out chainmail and winging it in his Blackmore games, feature a simple-slash-rules-like game you love and what you would do-slash-have done with it. The idea that we would honour Dave Arneson throwing out chainmail and winging it in his Blackmore games through the discussion of a rules-like game we love is... Um, odd to me. You see, I'm not convinced that Arneson based much of Blackmore on chainmail to begin with. I think that it's likely the publication of Chainmail informed his options, but I don't think it was that clear-cut. Secondly, I don't generally enjoy rules-like games, and so it would be pretty false of me to pretend that I do. I don't think that you can have a role-playing game without rules. (laughs) There, I've said it. But on top of that, I think that rules-like games, by which I mean rules engines that seek to prune away what is perceived to be unnecessary details... Those games are simply featuring rules that either aren't intended to be played for very long or just haven't been played for long enough to accrete more rules. And that's being generous and assuming we're not talking about a game played with rules in which the referee is not recording the decisions made in play, thus risking inconsistency in future play. All that aside, I view rules as a vital element in the triangle of role-playing games. I believe that once you play a single game for any length of time, you will make rulings and you'll need to codify them into rules. Because I don't want to play one-shots and I don't much like learning new rules, however light, for each adventure I play, I don't really have a favourite rules-like game. Unless you want to count GURPS light, that's pretty neat as a freebie. It's just cut down GURPS though, for quick play. I guess that makes me a heretic to some. So be it. Here I stand. I can do no other. Three. The play is the thing. In honour of Arneson's spirit of play over publishing, talk about a game you played recently, not one that you want to play, or one that you read or watched or otherwise experienced vicariously. I would very much like to focus on the idea that the play is the most important thing. I hold the view that you can read the rules of the game, but you don't understand it until you've played it at least once. It's not enough to simply buy and read a rule book. To be honest, I'm increasingly of the same view regarding all the elements of a role-playing game. Don't discuss hex crawls until you've tried one, for example. And don't discuss Glorantha until you've played there. The play is the key thing. I'd like to think that I'd do this most of the time. I talk about my actual play, such as it is, generally through the GM's journal. I share my solo play experiences, which are in and of themselves a way to test any new game, structure or world. But I don't think there's much more to say because right now, my gaming is actually pretty minimal. That's one reason to stop podcasting for a few weeks. Until we actually sit down to play some more on Fridays, I'm feeling pretty faux about my podcast. But here's my point. The spirit of Arneson was to play. Get your friends to the table. Game. Play. Enjoy. And then reiterate. Learn from your mistakes and come back for more. Don't stop playing. 4. Unsung Heroes Find someone neglected by the hobby. A person, like Arneson, present or past, who deserves more recognition. Talk about why they are important to the hobby. I can think of many people whom I could talk about, and this sounded really cool. 
until I thought about narrowing down a list. There are so many names, most of them very much unsung. How can I narrow that down? For starters, I'd list many of the anchorites as unsung heroes of the hobby because their weekly contributions via podcasts that I enjoy, they are, in and of themselves, very much an underappreciated contribution to the hobby. In an age of over-marketed whiz-bang hobby, I find that the gentle voices filling the podcasting sphere with experience, wisdom and a lot of joy are seriously underrated. I could also list several bloggers. And then there are the forgotten game designers and world builders. Perhaps we should all make more of an effort to speak about these people going forward. But there is one person I want to talk about. Let me tell you about Daniel. Daniel McWilliams hasn't, to my knowledge, published a role-playing game. He hasn't, as far as I know, got a gaming podcast or blog. I don't even know if he still plays. Last I heard, many years ago, was that Daniel was working at the University of Nottingham. And yes, that's weird given that I live just up the road and have not been able to meet with him since we parted ways in 1989. A quick online search tells me it's likely Daniel is a postdoctoral research fellow at the Faculty of Medicine and Health Sciences right in my hometown. But I'm not sure that's the same guy. Sounds exactly like the kind of thing Daniel would do, though. I mean, after all, it was Daniel who memorably told me he wanted to go to university and find the cure for AIDS. Anyway, Daniel is my unsung hero because Daniel is the guy who, to be really honest, got me into role-playing games. In so doing, Daniel changed my life and, I suspect, the lives of the other friends in our group. Daniel is the one who began this crazy obsession I have with imaginary worlds and the people who live in them. I don't truly know when Daniel and I started gaming. I don't remember if we met at middle school or high school. But I do know that we played around his house after school every weekday from the day we went to high school. And a few times before school day as well. And on many weekends. The front room of his parents' home, with the large dining table and bay window, that room was formative in my life. My official gaming story begins with RuneQuest and stealing away my dad's copy off up to my bedroom. But I long believed, and I still strongly suspect, that while RuneQuest was my first game, the first I owned, and certainly hugely influential on me as a gamer, Daniel's games were possibly there first. Originally, when I started my blog, I wrote that my first game was Traveller. This feels true. And for the longest time, I believed that I was playing around 77, 78. Yes, even age six or seven years old. I mean, for starters, I know I was playing war games with my dad that young. If Daniel went to my middle school, this is possible. But I don't know. It seems less plausible the more I think about it and try to focus the memory. I guess memory's weird like that. But it doesn't matter. Daniel taught me how to play. I remember rolling up Traveller characters and playing at his table. Daniel was my first referee. Most memorable was the Star Frontiers adventure Crash on Volturnus, which I've spoken about before. And I remember playing Battle Cars sometime in the 80s. And I remember that we played Red Box D&D. 
and I remember him buying and showing us the D&D 1E Dungeon Master's Guide and I know that we already had the player's book and I remember that the monster manual came first because we used it with the red box and this all perhaps suggests that he bought those books as they arrived in the UK. They were released one a year from 1977 through to 1979 in the USA so you see we're kind of back to pre-1980 if they were all out at the same time in the UK available, then why did Dan buy them in the exact order of release? I don't know. It seems weird how time all meshes into one glorious memory of childhood gaming. Those were the good times, the times without bullies and without self-consciousness, of silliness and role-playing, both at the table with dice as well as time spent dressing up and mucking around in the garden. Daniel. He was my friend, my mentor, my first game master, and a faithful inspiration until the day we all left high school. We stayed together all through sixth form. We learned about so many things and shared so many early life experiences. Since then, ever since we departed for university, I lost contact. Like I said, I heard he lives in Nottingham. I once reached out to Little Avail, and in the end I decided to let old friendships lie fallow. But without Daniel... I'd not be sitting here recording this 40 years on. Thanks, man. You changed my life. But none of that is what I really want to talk about. Not really. I want to talk about the spirit of Arneson. For me, Dave Arneson represents everything that I most miss about the early days of my own hobby. Arneson was a wargamer, first and foremost, and this is something to which I want to draw attention. Role-playing games, as we know them, arose out of the wargaming movement. As much as we might enjoy imagining that role-playing games could have arisen from other directions, and there are entire episodes of podcasts on this pondering if you care to listen for them, as much as we might enjoy that possibility, the fact is that role-playing games came out of wargaming. It started with tabletop miniature wargaming, and also games like Risk, Diplomacy, and those Avalon Hill Hex and Chip wargames too that my dad was so fond of. I mean, this was the stuff that my dad was into throughout my own childhood. Arneson was one of the wargaming fraternity. Blackmore arose from that tradition, and then it transcended it. Arneson's innovation left many gamers, my dad among them, it left them behind. Many couldn't palette the fantasy elements. More still, couldn't get the man-to-man level of play. These days, we'd call that level of play first-person gaming. Arneson's spirit is one of innovation and exploration. He delighted in throwing a challenge at the feet of his friends. He did it as a player beautifully illustrated by his performance in the Braunstein game that involved his CIA character, and that's in inverted commas. Arneson played outside of game time as well. He concocted an elaborate plan to not only win the game, but also to do it in a way that screwed with everyone's expectations. Yes, he was that player. I have never honestly played with anyone quite like that, I think the level of trust needed is so high that most of us would react badly to such incredible boldness and creativity. Why is that? 
don't know, perhaps it's because we can't trust each other enough to let go of our own preconceptions of what we think the game is meant to be. But here's the thing that niggles my mind. When I think about Castle Blackmoor and the dungeons beneath, I wonder at how much Arneson defied expectations in wargaming circles. It's little wonder they lost some players for years. Literally, friends he drove away from playing Blackmoor. One reportedly because Arneson allowed their character to die in the first session they played in. And yet, those were friends who came back to his game years later. Now they sing his praises. At the time, I rather suspect they couldn't see his particular genius. And that, my friends, is totally understandable. Arneson was off on his own journey. And that's the spirit that I wish I could discover at my own table. But I don't think it arises from just the right rule set, especially one that pretends to emulate some imagined kind of original rule set that we can't recover from Arneson's notes, because the notes probably don't exist. I believe the spirit of Arneson lies in his quest for a bloody good game with friends, with friends he trusted and loved. He was pushing the boundaries. He was testing the limits. Arneson wasn't going to iterate for the purposes of publication, although he didn't seem to mind when Gygax did so on his behalf, at least not initially. Arneson was iterating for his own amusement and for the sake of his fellow players. It was largely all in his head, which is why the notes are scant and scattered, but that doesn't mean it wasn't extensive. The spirit of Arneson challenges us to try new things, to take risks in each and every game, to push the boundaries of our imaginary worlds and to challenge our friends to play better. Role-playing games are not the rules. Arneson shows us this truth better than anyone else I can think of. He winged it by all accounts, and very little in the rules stayed fixed for very long. But that wasn't his focus. I believe that Arneson wanted to create a good experience for his friends and for himself, and the true genius of Arneson was to bring to the wargaming table the first-person gaming experience he learned from Wesley and add to it a fantastic world from which he aimed to escape the literalist historical nitpickers that he hated. Arneson literally took his ideas underground, into the dungeons of Blackmoor. But more than anything, Arneson embodied the idea that anything can happen at the table. What am I suggesting? I think that channeling the spirit of Arneson means to push at the boundaries. In the modern role-playing hobby, I see a tradition that has grown out of Gygax's particular interpretation of Arneson's idea. It's a tradition that has been sold and marketed, it's also been blended with the concerns of people from outside the wargaming tradition. And all of that, by the way, it's fine. I mean, after all, whether I like it or not, all of this is our hobby's history. It's what happened. It's what shaped all of our understanding about what the role-playing game has become. But if you want to honour Arneson, you should be prepared to push at all those boundaries. Test all those well-established ways of playing. Iterate explore, invent, and have fun with your friends. But whatever you do, do it for the benefit of you and your friends. If you're not having a good time, stop. Rework it, reiterate, and fix that which seems broken. For me, the journey I want to take is back to the original framework of the role-playing game. A set of characters who enter a dark and dangerous underworld filled with mazy tunnels. I've never really played a genuine, 
Arneson Gygax dungeon adventure as described by original Dungeons and Dragons and as illuminated by the descriptions given from the imperfect memories of those first players. Perhaps we can never truly recover the original way Blackmore was played, but we can certainly build our own slice of Blackmore, our own interpretation of that game, informed by the game structures that Arneson gave us. To me, the real genius Farneson was inventing the dungeon crawl. His game rules were patchy and poorly recorded, but both the oral tradition and the written tradition of the dungeon game, they're all pretty clear for everyone to see. When I read early issues of Alarms and Excursions, I see people changing the rules all the time. But I also see everyone adopting the basic game structure of the Arneson Gygax collaboration. They are all running their own dungeons. And, before long, folk are also running wilderness adventures using maps of the outdoors alongside the mechanisms of the dungeon, using stuff like random monster tables in the wilderlands. What's important is that the game is played by all. That it's an emergent story that arises from the choices of the players, and that it belongs to the players at each GM's table. The rest, as they say, is detail. Why should any of this in any way matter? I don't know, really. It's just that I wanted to say what I really think at this particular moment in my gaming life, at least. Say what I really think about the subject of Arneson's contribution to the gaming world. Arneson was a war gamer. Never forget that. Please remember. Because of this, battles were always going to be a part of the game. Arneson brought his games down to the first person level of play. Each player had one character and took on the role of that character in play. That's the real focus of the game. Individual choices. Arneson designed a fantasy realm to escape historical literalism. So don't feel bound by convention, because he wasn't. Arneson designed on the fly. He was flexible. He was comfortable with everything in his head. He could do this because his players trusted him. And somehow, he engendered that trust. Arneson was concerned with the quality of the play in each individual session. Games were intended as part of a campaign, but he never lost sight of the next session. Neither should we. And that, my patient and generous friends, is that. Just remember Arneson. He gave birth to this role-playing game. Gygax's role was simply different. Game on. Thanks for listening to this final episode of Roleplay Rescue Season 4. I hope you enjoyed it. Huge thanks to Edwin and Jason for their call-ins, and a big thank you also to Ray Otis of Plundergrounds for inspiring the episode and encouraging the Anchorite Arneson Appreciation Month. It's the community that drives so much of what I put out, so big thank you all of you. Thank you also to the amazing Roleplay Rescue patrons who support the show through their generous donations and encouraging words on patreon.com forward slash RPG Rescue. While we're off the air, guys, you lot will be getting the periodic GM journal episodes direct through Patreon as way of a bonus. So thank you all. And thank you to you too, the listener, for grabbing this episode, giving it a listen. Because without you guys... 
there really ain't much point me sitting here behind a microphone. Thank you. Season 5 is coming at the end of October 2019. This makes it a great chance for anyone who has an idea or a question, anything really that I could use for an episode topic, call in or use the regular contact methods to let me know your suggestions. You can find me on MeWe, Facebook, Twitter, or by email to hello at rpgrescue.com, or of course, you can just hit message on the Anchor app and give me a voicemail. I'm Che Webster. Thanks for listening. I'll be back soon with another season of Roleplay Rescue. Game on.